I'm so excited to be here, I can hardly stand it. Uh, I have the spiritual gifts. Uh, one of the unusual ones is right out of First Fleshalonians, and uh, it's the spiritual gift of blunt. So let me be blunt. Uh, I know that there's a bunch of you looking about whether you want to come to this university or not, and let me just say very carefully and graciously, you'll be crazy not to. How's that? Uh, we, uh, I had the privilege a long time ago of sitting on a small group of people surrounding John MacArthur when he was deciding to be the president of this university, right? And uh, just a small group of guys, and it's unbelievable how this university has become exceeding abundant beyond all that we could ask or think. Uh, not only academically, but especially spiritually, musically, and uh, athletically in all ways. And so let me just encourage you, if uh, I had the opportunity again, I would uh, want to be here, I'd want my sons to be here, and uh, you should be praying diligently about your involvement here. Hey, this morning, I would like to actually just focus on six words, six words in English, and actually only four words in Greek. In fact, it's just as important as love and as crucial as faith. It is absolutely essential to your sanctification. And six words from God's Word is far more valuable than six billion words from anybody else. And so we want to look at what God has to say, because you'll not mature without these six words. Uh, you'll not overcome that sinful bent. You'll not become like Christ without these six words. This phrase is the only way your time at Master's University will count for eternity. The only way your friendships will actually matter eternally and this phrase must be true for this chapel right now to glorify God. It's true. In fact, this phrase will also make a huge impact for eternity. Without this phrase, all you do for Christ will be burned up. And yet, with this phrase, all you do will be rewarded eternally. If you're frustrated this morning in your walk with God, if you're a little bit dry, if you're lacking joy in your relationship with Christ, or you're guilty or burdened by some sort of secret sin. It's because you're not dependent upon this six-word phrase. It's found in your Bibles in the book of Ephesians. So please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 18b. 18b, just six words. This phrase found in this letter, Ephesians 5, 18b, just these simple words. It says this, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. Remember when your little sister grabbed the vacuum cleaner and started vacuuming the rug back and forth, but she didn't turn it on? She just kept pushing it back and forth, and nothing happened, no work was done, no carpet was cleaned. That's you when you're not filled with the Spirit. Lots of activity, but nothing being accomplished for eternity. Nothing being accomplished for eternity. In fact, living without being filled with the Spirit is living the Christian life without turning the switch on. It's the power is there, but you're trying to vacuum the carpet in your own strength. See, the moment that you submitted to Jesus Christ in saving faith, and you turned to Him in repentance, the Holy Spirit came to live within you. You know that's true. There's no Christian here who does not possess the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But you'll not experience, in a sense, his life in and through you unless you're filled with the Spirit. The same God who created the universe, 
The very same God who authored the scriptures and empowered many Old Testament believers for many special tasks in the Old Testament ministered to the Lord while on earth and continues to convict the world of sin. That same spirit lives in you, Christian. The very same one. He has been the one who regenerated you. He's the one who called you. In fact, Calvin used to say that you, you cannot come to Christ without the Spirit of God. And as a child of God, he baptized you, immersing you into the body of Christ so that you're now one with other Christians. It is this same Spirit who indwells you can also fill you. Now every Christian, every true Christian, is indwelt with the Spirit of Christ. But not every Christian, every moment, is filled with the Spirit. The distinction between those two things is this. To be indwelt means you have all of the Spirit. But to be filled means the Spirit has all of you. A sense of surrender and yieldedness. And so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Well, there's a few times in Luke prior to the birth of the church in Acts 2 where there was a sense of a special empowerment and that Old Testament sense were a, to accomplish specific tasks. But there is a filling of the New Testament that is a moment-by-moment -moment action of God to be empowered and guided by God according to His Word. This filling of the Spirit. And it's this kind of filling that is best summarized in this verse in Ephesians 5.18, but because it, it's here that you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so here we are in Ephesians, teaching the church to practice its position. In fact, the first three chapters is your position in Christ. The second three chapters is the practice of that position. And he describes the practice of the Christian life in the second half of Ephesians by the word walk meaning your lifestyle. He wants you to have a loving lifestyle, a worthy lifestyle, and he also wants you to have a wise lifestyle. And if you look at verse 15 of chapter 5, that's where we begin our understanding of this particular passage. It is a wise lifestyle to be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 15 through verse 18. Therefore, be careful how you walk your lifestyle. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now generally, the only way to be wise, according to verse 15, is to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. So that's the phrase that can transform your life. It can change you. It can help you to understand sanctification. And it can accelerate your desire to become that godly man or that godly woman that God has put that desire in your heart to be. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask and answer five questions. The outline is five questions about this six-word phrase and we'll work our way through this book and through this phrase. Question number one, why is being filled with the Spirit so crucial? If you're taking notes, why is it important to you? Well, some Christians are afraid of the Holy Spirit. They really are. Reformed churches tend to focus on the Father. Dispensational churches tend to focus on the Son. Charismatic churches tend to focus on the Spirit. But our Bible, the one that we worship, the God that we worship, is a trinity. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet one God. 
And interesting enough, as a baby Christian, I attended once a charismatic church one Sunday, and I concluded that it was the role of the Holy Spirit that was meant to transform you into an aerobics instructor. <laughs> but being filled with the Spirit is, is not a bizarre experience. It's not a second work of grace. Paul is not talking about indwelling or baptism. John MacArthur writes this, To resist the filling and control of the Holy Spirit is flagrant disobedience. And to deny or minimize its importance is to stand rebelliously against the clear teaching of God's Word. The only way my preaching right now will honor and glorify God, the only way that you, in responding to the Word of God this morning, would honor and glorify God is if you are filled with the Spirit. It is something that God has laid out for us. So let's look at the filling of the Spirit and look at the fruit that it produces. There in the context... In chapter 5, uh, following verse 18, you'll see that being filled with the Spirit, and we'll look at this more carefully at the end, it produces immediate praise. It produces mutual ministry, inner joy and gratitude. And take a look at verse 21. It even produces a servant's heart of submission. Textually, you may not see that in the text, uh, in the English, but the command to be filled with the Spirit is directly linked to marriage. In verse 22, it actually is connected because the fruit of submission in verse 21 is actually used to introduce Paul's discussion of marriage and the entire New Testament first century household that he goes on to describe in verse 22 and following. So there's a connection here. Someday you might want to have a great marriage. The Bible teaches being filled with the Spirit is essential to a great marriage. It actually is the first command of marriage is to be filled with the Spirit. It's directly linked. The actual verb in verse 21 is what gives us the verb to submit in verse 22. It's connected to marriage. I mean, think about it. Galatians chapter 5, the filling of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Who doesn't want to hang out with or who doesn't want to come home to somebody who is saturated and oozing with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control? Obviously. Think about the person you want to marry. As a college pastor at Grace Community Church, gals used to tell me who they were looking for in a guy. And it was always funny to see the list they came up with. Typically, I would hear something like, He's got to be 6'2". <laughs> got to have blue eyes. Blonde hair. And it's California. And it would really be good if he drove a Porsche. <laughs> and it was always fun for me, because I was there a long time, to see what they ended up with. 5'1", bald, four <laughs> eyes, and drives a wreck. You know, that kind of stuff. So if you want to die happy... Find someone who strives to be live with the spirit, uh, filled with the Spirit of God. Most importantly, if you're not in the Spirit, the Bible says you're in the what? The flesh. If you're not living by His strength, you're living by your own strength, meaning this, the only way to glorify God and please the Lord is to be filled with the Spirit. One commentator that you would not be familiar with um, writes this, unless a Christian is filled with the Spirit, quote, he will live in spiritual weakness retardation, frustration, and defeat. So question number one, being filled with the Spirit is crucial. Question number two, question number two, 
What's required to be filled with the Spirit? What's required to be filled with the Spirit? Well, look at the context of Ephesians 5.18 and the context of this particular letter, and you'll know what Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 1-4, through 4, and when you understand what he said in 1-4, through 4, then you can understand chapter 5. Again, we don't want to ever take the Bible out of context, so in order to understand chapter 5, verse 18, you need to understand the epistle here that he's written, so we need to understand what he's written so far. What are the requirements in a general sense in order to be filled with the Spirit? Well, number one, I would say that genuine salvation and that would be Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells you that before you knew Christ, you were dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses and sins. You were separated from God, and when he saved you, he made you alive. Now, dead to alive is pretty radical. Would you agree? It's pretty radical stuff. You were a zombie, a living dead person, and then God made you alive. You were dead to God, and now you're alive to him. You were now someone who lives for Christ. He's your first love. He's the one you seek to follow and love him more than any other relationship. He's your first in your thoughts, in your time, in your money, in your relationships. It is Christ that you follow, that you want to obey and please him over everyone. That's the heart of a believer. And if you're not genuinely born again, you cannot be filled with the Spirit because you don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't yield to the Spirit. And therefore, the first step in all of this is to be genuinely born again or genuine salvation. Another requirement from the context would be that you have a genuine involvement in a church community. When you begin to read chapter 4, it calls Christians to be equipped with the Word of God, and it's somewhat summarized in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. You might want to look there, Ephesians 4, 16. It says, From the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building above itself in love one of the means of grace is the mutual involvement that we have in each other's lives to grow to become like christ it is one of the means of grace if you are not involved and interconnected part of being filled with the spirit as he's addressing this ephesian church it's a corporate command it's a command to all of us, and so we encourage each other, we challenge each other, we stimulate one another to be those who would be yielded and submissive to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And therefore, you're to be a, a lung functioning in the body of Christ, not a wart on the body of Christ. You're to be integrated in. You cannot fulfill the command of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5 unless Ephesians 4 is true, which means you're a part of the equipping and a part of the involvement and engagement of a local church body. So that's a requirement. You've already seen that it's crucial. Well, number three, the third question that I would ask would be, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean getting a spiritual zap. Nor does it mean some sort of dry choice of your will. You grind out the obedience of the Word of God. Nor is it what we might think in English, the uh, filling up of your hydroflask, that kind of filling. The Greek word for filled has three descriptive shades of meaning. So let me help you with this. One of the ways that it's used in the New Testament, the word and the verb filled, is to describe the filling of a sail ship the sails by the wind itself as the wind fills the sails and bores that ship along in a similar fashion the filling of the spirit is the spirit of god in a sense boring you along and pushing you and encouraging you towards obedience to christ 
Another way that it's found in the New Testament is this idea of permeation or saturation. Are you familiar with uh, this product called Airborne? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Airborne? Uh, Alka-Seltzer. Anybody familiar with that? Bath bombs. You go to Bed Bath & Beyond, you get a big thing you throw in the bathtub and it makes it all oily and stinky and women like that. What happens is it gets into the water and airborne, or the fizzy and the Alka-Seltzer gets into the water and it saturates or permeates that water with the medicine, correct? That's the same sense of you have the filling of the Spirit as salt saturated the meat and flavored it or preserved it. So the filling of the Spirit of God is this permeation. So it's more of Christ and less of you. More of God and less of you. In fact, then thirdly, the way it's used in the New Testament, the Greek word filled in the New Testament carries the idea of domination and total control. And you've read passages or phrases in the New Testament where it says they were filled with anger or they were filled with fear, meaning they were dominated. And the filling of the Spirit is this idea of domination with the Spirit of God. So in a positive sense, being filled with the Spirit and yielding our lives to the Spirit in such a way that every emotion, every thought, every act of our will is under the direction of the Spirit of God, in line with the Word of God, as always. So look carefully, though, if you would, at the entire verse, Ephesians 5.18, all aspects of it. It says in verse 18, do not and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what you have here is two commands. Don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. They're both said in contrast with a single word that is a strong single word contrast in the original language. And basically, in contrast to wine controlling you or dominating you, you are to be dominated by the Spirit of God. Now, some believe this is tied into the pagan worship that was evident there in Ephesus which used strong drink, and so the pagans would go to the temple, and they might even participate in temple prostitution, but they would get drunk, and that euphoria was an expression of pagan worship. That's how they viewed it. That could be in line with what Paul is talking about here, but to be drunk, we know, is to be under the control and domination of alcohol, and therefore it is affecting every aspect of your being. So in the sense of the contrast to that, be filled with the Spirit, meaning being under the control of the Spirit, so that as the Spirit affects every aspect of your person, every aspect. So also, there's that sense that people drink to escape, and they want to forget their empty life. So Paul says, don't get drunk, don't watch TV, don't eat, don't sleep to fill your empty life. Be filled with the Spirit. It is really, though, the grammar of the verb to be filled, which actually makes its meaning very practical and very clear. So let me walk this through with you. The literal rendering of the Greek here, verb to be filled, is be being kept filled. That's a literal rendering. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. This is something that every Christian in Ephesus and every Christian today is to be mindful of as a non-optional Christian life requirement. In fact, how often are you to be filled? Well, the Greek verb here is present tense, which means all the time, every moment, every day, 24-7. Not merely at class, not merely in chapel, uh, not merely at church, but at your meals, in your dorm, with your friends, hanging out. Every aspect, 24-7. Like faith, without being filled, you cannot please the Lord. I mean, being filled with the Spirit is every moment, every action, word, and attitude right now as you 
as you participate in just regular student life, as you drive home. I used to tell my church it was pretty obvious as I could watch them drive out of the parking lot who was filled with the Spirit and who was in the flesh. Uh, maybe it's true here as well. Being filled is present tense all the time. For the believer, it's like a marriage. I mean, how, how do you think my wife, Jean, would like it if I said, I used to love you all the time? That's not going very far, is it? Or I will love you again in the future, but not right now. No, the issue is, is that it's right now. That'd be like the husband who gave his wife a mood ring to help him understand his bride. And it did, it really did. It turned green every time she was happy, and it left a funny mark on his face every time she wasn't. So it really worked. <laughs> be filled is present tense right now. Right now, all the time. 24-7. Being filled is not a one-time high. It's a moment-by-moment, present-tense dependence. So who's it for? Well, it's plural, so that means everyone. Everyone. Not just pastors, charismatics. It's every Christian in the Ephesus church, everyone here. Being filled with the Spirit is crucial for each and every one of you. So you say, how can I be filled? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because the verb actually tells us, and this is where it gets very interesting. It's my favorite verb in the New Testament. It really is. The verb for being filled with the Spirit is passive. It's passive. If it was active, you would do it. If it's middle, you might act upon yourself to do it. But it's passive, which means you can't do it. It must be done to you. How do you like that? Did you figure that out? He just gave you a command that you must obey. You must obey. It's an imperative, but it has to happen to you. That's the Christian life. This is what makes this so exciting. Basically, what he's saying, in order to be filled with the Spirit, you yield to the Spirit. You depend on the Spirit of God. You desire, you obey, you expect, you respond. You don't control the sovereign Spirit of God. Amen to that? You are submissive to Him. He is God, you are not. Therefore, the indwelling Spirit fills those who submit, who yield, who depend, and then obey His Word. It would be like my baseball glove. If I say to my baseball glove that's sitting on the bench next to me, play baseball, what's my baseball glove do? Nothing. Nothing. My glove cannot play baseball. But if I put my hand in my glove and play baseball, what happens? I can play baseball and function the way it's designed. My glove fulfills its creative purpose. If I put my hand in the glove and I play Mustang baseball, what happens? We're going to win. That's what it means. Yeah. John MacArthur writes this. A Christian can accomplish no more without being filled with the Spirit of God than a glove can accomplish without being filled with a hand. Spirit-filled people learn what God wants them to do in His Word, then yield themselves to the Spirit of God, dependently obey. The Spirit works through them to put Christ on display. I think the best way I could illustrate this for you is my grandsons. My oldest one is now three, Riker John Mueller. He is a kick in the pants. He has a head as hard as a bowling ball and loves to give headbutts. Um, but we go for walks together. One of my greatest joys is to be in a sweet relationship with him. And when we go for a walk, my little grandson does something automatic. I never ask him to do it. He just does it puts his hand up. He just puts his hand up. And the hand comes up because he knows that I'm going to grab his hand. And then he engages his will by stepping out. 
he, he, he chooses to walk, but he's dependent while he walks. That's the picture you have here, is someone who knows by faith I'm dependent on him for everything. Amen to that? Everything. And yet I engage my will and step out in obedience to God's word. The Spirit of God never honors anything outside the context of God's Word, but according to the Word of God, I engage my will, and I step out in obedience, but I do so dependently. Do you get the picture? That's what he's talking about here. In fact, that's exactly what you see written in the New Testament. You know this verse, Galatians 2.20, says the same thing. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who who lives? I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, depending, relying, engaging my will, but relying on the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So back to Ephesians 5, the verb to be filled is passive. You can't do it, it's got to happen to you, but you put yourself in a position to be filled, to be dependent, you live in dependence, you live desiring to be filled, and then you step out in obedience by engaging your will, it's not waiting for an emotion, it's not waiting for a zap, it's not waiting to grind it out, you're dependent upon him and you walk according to his word. I love the way Spurgeon did it, and every time he mounted the pulpit, it was a circular pulpit as he walked up, he would walk up and every step he took, every time he preached, he would say, I believe in the spirit, 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 because he knew that unless it was empowered by the Spirit of God, it wasn't going to glorify God. Christian, you and I are to be, be being kept filled. You say, Chris, how does this work out in everyday life? That's question number four. Question number four is, how can you be filled with the Spirit every moment? I want to encourage you to write this down in the margin of your Bible. I know some of you don't do that. Uh, get over yourself and write down... The word P-A-S-S-S, -S -S, pass, with an extra S on it. P-A-S-S-S, -S -S, as it were, because so much of what we hear we forget. So my challenge for you is to remember this, because I believe it will serve you well. It'll serve you well in understanding sanctification. It'll serve you well in understanding your role of dependence upon the Spirit of God and the Word of God. It will serve you as you walk in this life, a wise lifestyle. Today, you get a pass to the Spirit-filled life. So how can you and I be filled with the Spirit every day? First, in your outline, the P would be dwell on a passage. P would be passage. Look again at Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. It says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians and Ephesians are parallel books. When you study one, you ought to study the other. They're probably written by Paul, who's under house arrest in Rome. And basically, he writes these similarly at the approximate same time, similar content, yet different congregations, and yet there's a parallelism to it, and the parallel to Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16, and it says this in Colossians 3.16, the parallel to Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Did you notice any similarities? 
Sure, the fruit of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18 is the fruit of being letting the Word of Christ richly dwell with you in Colossians 3.16. They're basically the same. Being filled with the Spirit is very similar to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Part of being filled with the Spirit and an essential part of being filled with the Spirit is to have the Word of God be at home in your heart. To have the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, it actually literally means to be at home in your hearts. Our actions, our attitudes, our speech are to be saturated with the Word of God, chewing on the Word of God, focused on the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth. He never, ever contradicts truth. He guides you towards truth, towards being like Christ. And therefore, attending a good church and attending this university can help you a lot. But it cannot force the Word of God to be at home in your heart. It cannot force that. You must learn to be saturated with the Word of God every day and applying the Word of God and dependent upon the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to be the lens that you look at everything through and the guard that causes everything in your mouth to speak according to truth. It is the Word of God that guides us. You have Bible classes, but it doesn't mean you intentionally focus on the Word of God as your guide and your life and your food and your treasure. He's talking about having like a tea bag and basically sticking it in the hot water again and again and again. It becomes so saturated that it becomes tea, not water anymore. And he wants your life to be so saturated with truth that it becomes truth and the Word and not you anymore. Dwelling on the Word is to have the Word so saturate your everyday life, it no longer looks like you. It looks like Christ. And that's what the Spirit of God is desiring. The Word becomes the lens which guides your thinking and your behavior in everything, including your friends, your time, your talk, and your fun. This is very much like the principle of meditation where a cow chews on the word over and over or chews on his cud over and over again to fully assimilate the nutrients. You're chewing on the word over and over to fully assimilate the truth in and through your life. The word's idea of meditation is foolish. It's the repetition of things over and over again. It's a mindlessness. The word of God is the exact opposite and meditation biblically is the opposite where you're saturating your mind with the truth. You're meditating on it. You're thinking about it. And the design of God is to fill your mind with God's truth and think so deeply about it that it begins to affect the way you speak, the way you act, the way you think. Dwelling on a passage means that the word is on your mind in such a way that you live by it. You're not just a hearer of the word, you're a liver of the word. You live it out. To be filled with the Spirit is to dwell on a P passage. The passage of truth. Secondly, letter A in your pass acrostic is the word be aware, aware, be aware. The passive voice of the verb be filled tells you you can't do it. I believe it is true to be able to make the statement only God can glorify God. It is only God in you who then brings himself glory. It's only as you're filled with the Spirit of God that you actually can bring God glory. It is God who designed that. It's Christ who lives the Christian life. It's the Spirit who produces fruit in you. And you need to be continually aware of who you are and who God is. You want to be filled with the Spirit, you need to understand who you are. At best, you're a vessel. You're a container. And the treasure is within you. Right? You realize that? I hope you do. Uh, take a look at one verse, if you would. Turn for a moment to Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. 
I want to uh, be one of those people who build your self-esteem this morning. Build your self-esteem. As Paul wraps up his letter in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, he makes a wonderful statement. He says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You feel built up yet? You're nothing. You're nothing. I'm nothing. The New Testament tells us to die to self. Surrender daily. Put no confidence in the flesh. Our thoughts, our strength, our ideas, even our abilities, we put no confidence in that. Be aware of who you are. You're nothing. Christ is everything. To live is what? Christ. Now this is tough to own, especially when you're young. You might think of yourself as, I'm on varsity, I'm 4.0, I'm perky, uh, I'm, a, I'm the team captain, I'm super cute, I've got a six-pack, <coughs> i got a one-pack, I'm a Bible major, <laughs> I'm funny, I'm the dorm leader, I'm bearded, I can grow a beard, I'm a future missionary, I'm a spiritual giant, when in reality what you are is a sinner saved by grace. You're a clay pot. I won't go into the details, but it was used for some very uncomfortable things, clay pots. For the Spirit to work through to glorify God. And I think sometimes God allows trials and pains and unbelievable hurts in your life to remind you just how dependent you are. Keeps us dependent. Jesus could not have been more pointed in John 15, 5 when he says, apart from me, you can do what? nothing. Be aware, all your scholarship, all your gifts, all your abilities, all your athletic talent, all of it, for the work of the Lord is nothing unless the Spirit of God is filling you and working through you and it's done for His glory and dependence upon Him. Nothing you and I will ever do will count for eternity unless two things are true. Number one is that you're doing it for the glory of God. Number two, you're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You do it for your own glory, you do it in your own strength, it doesn't count. Right? Be aware of who you are and who God is. Be aware you can't do anything in your own strength. Be aware that to be filled with the Spirit, you must live dependently. Be aware that you're to be filled with the Spirit every moment with the big issues, the small issues, the normal things, school, relationships, boys, girls, battles with sin, sports, assignments, driving, serving, singing, talking, thinking, even eating, right? You know the verse. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the... Glory of God. Don't even lift a glass of water to your name unless it's for His glory. And it's God through you via His Spirit who brings Himself glory. You don't grind out obedience. You depend on the Spirit of God by His Word, always by His Word. You don't wait for a feeling. You don't wait for emotions. You act upon your will and you write this down, all right? Write this down. Dependently obey. So many believers today think that it's do, 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 do. Christianity is do this, do this, do this, do this. It's not that. It's not that. It's D period, O period. It's depend and obey. You rely upon him, you do things according to his word, and you step out by an act of your will and obedience to the truth of God's word. Christ did it, it's done, but now we walk and function in dependent obedience. So you have a passage that you're saturating your life with. You're aware that you cannot, that God must, and then thirdly, under this main point, is you deal with all known sin. You deal with all known sin. S is sin, and God himself tells us that he dwells in us, 
this in and of itself should keep you from sin. And Paul reminded the Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 18 of these words. He says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? The third person of the Trinity dwells in you. He's called the Holy Spirit. Not only uniqueness, but purity, and which should tell you that he reacts to sin in your life. He's holy. That's why the scripture specifically points out how our sin ends up grieving him and quenching him. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Obviously, the Spirit's feelings are different than our emotions. His are sovereign choice of the will. Ours are typically reactions to circumstances, but there's a similarity in that as a person, our sin grieves him. Like when one of your closest friends makes a horrible choice, you know what it means to be grieved by someone. Here the Spirit is grieved by your unwillingness to deal with disobedience to the Word, specifically in Ephesians 4, misusing your tongue, and also this idea of not forgiving others, but generally the sins of commission. The sins of commission. Such sins that violate what you know to be true in His Word. And the sin grieves the Spirit of God. But your sin also quenches the Holy Spirit. So if you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, you'll see this phrase about quenching in the early apostolic era. Paul says this to this baby church. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. And what was happening is the Thessalonians were stopping the proclamation of the Word of God. And this stopping what they know they should do was a sin of omission. They were not doing what the Lord commands them to do, and it was quenching the Spirit. If you want to understand quenching, the word means to put the fire out. It's like taking a buck of water, just putting it right on the fire. And by quenching the Spirit of God, you're stopping what the Spirit of God wants to do. Obviously, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must deal with sin in your life, which involves confession agreeing with God that it is you who's responsible and not him. You're agreeing with his assessment of sin as lawlessness, as missing the mark of his perfection. And then there's repentance, which ultimately will result in you turning away from known sin. Understand, to grow in the sanctification process, as you read the New Testament, it talks about this idea of fleeing and pursuing. And both of those are necessary. You need to flee those things, which would be sin, and pursue Christ-likeness. One of the best ways to deal with things that are hanging you up in the area of sin is to pursue Christ. For as you do, you will find less of an attraction to those things that you're even seeking to flee. So finally, P-A-S-S-S, -S -S, the Spirit-filled life is a passage or the Word of God saturating you and controlling and directing your thoughts, being aware that you can't, but God must. It's also dealing with all known sin. And finally, number four, it would be the last two S's, to seek to serve and to share. To serve and to share. What do you mean by that? Well, if you were to study the New Testament on spiritual gifts, you'd discover that the actual word gift is of the Spirit or in the Spirit. It is something that basically, in a very special way, you're putting Christ on display. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities for service within the context of the body of Christ. 
And these unique abilities given at salvation designed for you to display Christ in a unique way within the context of the body of Christ. And therefore, if you desire to see the Spirit manifested in and through your life, then as a way of life, you should be serving in the context of the body of Christ, seeking to serve Him in the way that God designed you. It even goes a step further, though, as you study the New Testament, and especially the book of Acts, you'll see some unique correlation between the actual proclamation and sharing of the gospel and the filling of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, you'll see Peter, Peter was filled with the Spirit and gave testimony of, of Christ and the gospel. In Acts 4, the early Christians were filled with the Spirit and they spoke of Christ with boldness and sharing the gospel. In Acts chapter 9, they were filled with the Spirit and they testified about Christ and sharing the gospel. So what you've got there is causing us to conclude that the Spirit manifests himself, especially in the proclamation of the gospel. Declaring the person and work of Christ to those without Christ in this world. If you want to know what the Spirit of God is doing in an overarching, simplistic summary, He wants two things. Number one, that you would come to Jesus Christ. Number two, that you would become like Jesus Christ. He's seeking those two things. In order to be, in other words, being filled with the Spirit is, is not a life lived like a bucket. You're not here to collect the blessings of God. You're not here to kind of help you feel better. You're not here to say, oh God, bless me, bless me, bless me. The spiritual life is not a bucket, it's a hose. It's as you give yourself away, as you spray out, so to speak, in service and sharing and seeking to display Jesus Christ, you are blessed by God in that process. It's giving yourself away in service and sharing in the body of Christ, serving in the world, sharing the gospel. Christ came to serve and he calls us to serve. And the greatest among you will be the what? Servant. Christ also came proclaiming the gospel and he leaves you here in order to proclaim the gospel. And the Spirit of God energizes those actions in a unique way. And those who love Christ live like he lived and do what he does. So you dwell on a passage. You're aware that you can't, but God can. You're dealing with known sin. You're seeking to serve him and share the gospel in this process. And that's the pass to a truly impactful, fruitful, spirit-filled life. So the last question, number five, the fifth question what are the results of being filled with the Spirit? What are the results of being filled with the Spirit? We'll take a look at the passage again, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at the fruit when he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now look at verse 19. Look at it. Mutual ministry. He says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're mutually ministering to each other. The fruit of the Spirit, we minister to each other. Then look at the next part of that verse. Inner joy. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And look at verse 20. Gratitude. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So there's a thankfulness and a gratitude. And look at verse 21. Submission. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now you see the results of being filled with the Spirit. Lay the foundation for an incredible marriage in verse 22 to 33, and incredible parenting in chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, or chapter 6, 1 through 4, just six words in the English, just six, four words in the Greek can transform your life in a remarkable way, and it's my prayer that it would. Let me give you some concluding thoughts, and that would be this. Number one, be filled with the Spirit will focus your life on exalting Christ. Being filled with the Spirit will focus your life on exalting Christ. The Spirit of God has two main goals this morning, for you to come to Christ in salvation, for you to become like Christ. 
And therefore, to make you like Christ, Romans 8.29 declares that the Spirit is for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become, are you ready? Conformed to the image of His Son. To grow into a godly man, to grow into a godly woman, to be the ultimate single, to become the hottest husband and the wow-weak wife, you are to live by the Spirit of God every day. There's no microwave process. When you see a godly man, they didn't become a godly man in a day. When you look at a godly woman, they did not become that person in a day. There was a long process of saturation in the Word of God, of dependence upon God and living by faith and living dependence upon the Spirit of God, of trials, of issues that grew them into that person. It's a moment-by-moment, depend and obey. Number two, being filled results in you overcoming sin. Very simply, as you're day-by-day being filled with the Spirit of God, moment-by-moment filled with the Spirit of God, you will develop a walk, a lifestyle of dependency upon the Spirit of God, a dependency on the Word of God. You will develop a lifestyle, that walk, because you're every day working on being filled with the Spirit 24-7. As you develop that walk in the Spirit, what does Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 tell us? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not what? Carry out the desire of the flesh. As you begin to be filled with the Spirit, you develop a walk in the Spirit. As you develop a walk in the Spirit, you're going to find yourself overcoming sin. Number three, be filled with the Spirit results in reward. In our circles, we don't talk a lot about that, but the New Testament does talk about reward. And any action done in your own strength, in the flesh, for your own glory, is going to burn, 1 Corinthians 3. Any action done in God's strength, in the Spirit, for God's glory, will be rewarded eternally. Not just spiritual stuff, everyday stuff. The housewife at home, taking care of a house, loving kids, is, brings God glory when she's filled with the Spirit. And number four, being filled with the Spirit requires salvation. You can't be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, unless you have been made alive in the Spirit and alive to Christ in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Can't do it. The most miserable student at the Master's University, the most miserable student sitting among you right now, is the one who's trying to live for Christ and doesn't know Christ. That is a miserable existence. You need to submit to Christ in salvation. You need to admit that your sin has put you as God's enemy. You need to cry out that God would awaken your heart and awaken your life so you could then respond in repentance and faith and give your life to Jesus Christ. Not only in your sense falling on Christ and his righteousness falling on you so you can stand in God's presence, but what God does in salvation is he regenerates you. He changes you from the inside out. And that heart is described all throughout the New Testament as one in Romans 6, 17 that desires to obey. Christians aren't those who are working it out and wanting to try and enforcing this issue. They've been given a new heart that wants, even in their failures, to respond in obedience to Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that, you don't know that sense of worship, you don't know that sense of willingness, you don't have that sense of, I want to follow Christ, 
that it might be today that you need to turn to Jesus Christ and submit to him in salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the refreshment of just six words. We pray, Father, that it might make a huge difference in how we live, that you would get the glory, that you would transform lives, that you would be the God who honors himself by working in our lives in a way that we are truly walking with you and becoming like your son and honoring you. We pray, Father, that you would do your work in our midst. We give you all the glory for what you'll do. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said.